0: Welcome back to The Shepherd's Pie, a slice of faith for our messy lives. I'm Tony Kolank, a professor at Ave Maria School of Law down in Naples. I'm the father of five grown children and the author of inspirational fiction for both teens and adults. And by the way, as we head toward the coming holiday season, please take a look at my award-winning series for teens called The Harwood Mysteries. Book five was recently released, and I've been thrilled to see book one, Shadow in the Dark, being used actually in some of the schools where I've given talks. They're using it as an exciting supplement for their kids in uh, church history or social studies. You can check out all those books on my website. But today, we are here speaking with Bill Snyder about his Shroud of Turin documentary and why it's important for people of everyday faith to understand uh, historical and potentially miraculous artifacts connected to the Christian faith. My guest today is Bill Snyder, the founder of Patchwork Heart Ministry, a nonprofit Catholic young adult ministry. He inspires, engages, and challenges young people to live their faith boldly by example through storytelling and various media initiatives. For over a dozen years, he's been an active member and leader in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, and he holds bachelor's degrees in both theology, religious studies, and also TV radio production from the University of Scranton. He's also a youth minister, a teacher, and a speaker. And earlier this year, he released a 51-minute documentary that he wrote and directed about the Shroud of Turin called Who Do You Say I Am? And we're going to be talking about that today.
1: So, Bill, welcome back to The Shepherd's Pie. Tony, it's great to be with you. It's always so much fun being on The Shepherd's Pie. Thank you for having me again.
0: Well, it is great to have you back. and. I know last time you were on, we we got a chance to talk, you know, refresh our memory about kind of what is Patchwork Heart about and what was the book that we had previously discussed?
1: In Patchwork Heart Ministry is a ministry for young adults, and we simply try to sow hope into broken hearts. Uh, we do that through a variety of different ways by you know, media, books, stuff like that. The name comes from the fact that I've, I'm a survivor of three open heart surgeries, and quite literally right now wouldn't be alive if I didn't have those patches sewn in my heart. Uh, but you can always go over to our website, patchworkheart.org, to learn more about it. And the book that we talked about last time was Hearts Burning Within Us. It is answers to burning questions from Catholic college students. We uh, wrote a book with 42 or 44 different questions that Catholic college students asked us about you know, all different areas of the faith, everything from sexual morality to can I smoke marijuana as a Catholic? And it was fascinating to be able to interact with these young people and really talk with them about the questions that were on their heart. I encourage people to go back and listen to that episode in your podcast feed if they haven't heard that episode about hearts burning within us.
0: Yeah, that was an amazing book. Uh, and we did get a chance to spend some time talking about it. Although you may have just piqued viewers' interest Is it all right for Catholics to smoke marijuana? I want to know the answer. Not because I want to smoke marijuana, but just because I'm curious.
1: No, it is not okay for Catholics to smoke marijuana. (laughs) Oh, good.
0: I'm glad we cleared that up. All right. So you made this documentary and I watched it on CMAX TV, which uh, for those in the the audience who haven't encountered CMAX, I kind of see it as an up and coming competitor to things like Pure Flix, which if you haven't seen that, it's a competitor to things like Netflix, which you probably have heard of that. And so uh, Bill's documentary, uh, Who Do You Say I Am, was on CMAX. I know it's other places. And it was absolutely amazing. Anything you ever wanted to learn about the Shroud of Turin was in this documentary. I hadn't seen something on it in a long time. And I had been a little deflated about the Shroud of Turin um, after some tests came out in the 80s. So I was really encouraged after watching this. So if you haven't seen it, you need to check this out. Um, So let me get this back to you then, Bill. Why, of all things in the universe, you could have made a documentary on, did you pick the Shroud of Turin?
1: Well, you know, it's a wild Holy Spirit-led story because I was having a conversation with my co-executive producer, Kent Koholsky at Fiat Ministry Network, and he had happened to mention to me that this gentleman, Brian Walsh, who's in our film, was uh, simply going on a Zoom call with him, and they were cataloging his extensive work on the Shroud. He's been studying the Shroud uh, for decades. And he happened to mention it to me as I am I think I was driving through a bank drive through during the pandemic. And uh, he was just saying, hey, uh, I'm walking with this guy. It's kind of cool. I said, that's really neat. Would you ever think he would want to do a documentary style? Because only so many people are going to sit there and watch, you know, lectures on The Shroud, right? I mean, you know, academics might sit there and watch lectures on The Shroud. But how are you going to reach the new generation of young adults and young people? He said, well, I can ask him. So Kent had a conversation with Brian and a few uh, weeks later, all of us were on another Zoom call and Brian was like, yeah, I'll do this. <laughs> so that's how it came together. And uh, we found another expert because you really need to have two different voices. So we found another expert. His name's Richard Bernacci. Uh, he's out on the West Coast and a wonderful shroud researcher. He travels the country giving presentations to parishes for free. We uh, reached out to him and and he actually was driving through Milwaukee, where I live, and I recorded him Holy Week, I believe, 2021, to talk with me about the shroud. We had an amazing conversation, and so that's how we kind of you know put it together. Uh, the other very neat thing was that we involved the uh, Man of the Shroud exhibit, which is a traveling Man of the Shroud exhibit with a full length replica shroud, are available. To bring to your parish completely free, all you have to do is pick it up and, you know, go out to Chicago, get the trailer and bring it to your parish. We did that. And then we asked people and attendees of these events to give us a you know short little snippet on who do you think this man is after walking through this whole exhibit. It was a fascinating process to go through because I learned so much about the Shroud of Turin, you know, going through it. It's been an amazing journey. It still is an awesome journey. It
0: is. And there's an incredible history to that shroud, which I really want us to get into. The catch line of this show is a slice of faith for our messy lives. And when I think about the history of the shroud, it reminds me of uh, a messy history. Can you kind of give us, I know you're not the shroud expert yourself, but can you give us uh, your understanding of of kind of what happened to, uh, supposedly at least, happened to the shroud in its history?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's some certainly um, a very fascinating points about the shroud's travels. In fact, we actually cannot pinpoint where the shroud was for the first twelve hundred years of its existence. We have conflicting reports and just you know oral tradition telling us where it is. Are there different cloths in different areas? People are venerating different things, and so you have a conflicted history. And there's no way that science, as of right now can tell you the shroud was here in 33 AD, and then it was here in 100 AD and all the way through. But through oral tradition, many people, uh, many scholars believe that it had some interesting stops. I, I don't certainly want to ruin the documentary for you, but I can give away all the spoilers, but there are efforts that, you know, exceed human understanding And miracles all along the way, right? So at one point, the shroud was buried in a wall for 500 years by a bishop. Several years later, in that same town, Edessa, modern-day Turkey, there was appearance of a beautiful lady, maybe the Blessed Mother, who told another bishop, Bishop Eulalius, to go dig up that wall and pull this shroud out because the city was under attack from Muslims, and he was to hold this shroud up, and it was going to repel the Muslims, and that's exactly what happened in like five forty four A.D. And so you have all of these stops along the way of the shroud that could be, you know, miraculous little interventions. And you know, we you know we talk about that in the film. We talk about uh, the fact that you know it was it was a crusade. Uh, there was there was a, during the crusades there was a um, knight of the third crusade who ended up seeing this shroud rise up during a liturgy out of a box right before the third crusade and him record this in a journal saying, I saw this image of Jesus. Well, like who else is seeing images of Jesus during the time of the crusades, right? So you have all of these different clues throughout history that allow you to kind of paint a picture and You know, the amazing thing, though, is, and and this was said by Richard in our film, he said it really doesn't matter the history. It really doesn't, because all of the scientific miraculous properties still exist. If it was over in Turkey or if it was over in Italy or if it was over in this, really none of that matters. What really matters is that the scientific properties of this that are so miraculous, that are so, you know, beyond human comprehension and, and the comprehension of science at this point that the history doesn't matter now the history there there is some important scientific evidence on the shroud that needs to be there in order for it to be the burial cloth of jesus and we can talk about all of those different things i think the lesson is at least from the experts that i have interviewed was don't get hung up on the amazing travels of the shroud because if you get hung up on that you're never really going to dive into the amazing science that, you know, is so incredible. So really, you know, the history is fascinating. And we certainly tell our version of that story in the film, but it doesn't necessarily matter 100% because the science proves uh, otherwise.
0: Wow. I'm really interested. Uh, I I can't remember who it was in the Third Crusade because, you know, my books that I was talking about take place literally in the few years leading up to the Third Crusade. Uh, book six, which I just finished, is literally they're on their way to the third crusade. So I'm, I am i don't remember that from the documentary. I definitely um, wanted to learn more about who that was, because that's pretty cool. But before we dive into the science and, and the controversy over the science, especially, you know, once they started testing it, I'm curious about one thing, though, like you said, so this shroud potentially could be the burial cloth of Jesus that was over his body at the time of the resurrection. And I know you're going to talk about that with some of the science. But obviously, there's some controversy, people want to believe in this, you know, it could be really important to people. I want to explore that a little bit before we get dive into the science, you know, why should people want there to be these kinds of things out there? I mean, and, and what happens if it turns out that uh, the story is eventually debunked, or something, and it's not really it. I mean, how do our faith journeys intersect with an artifact like this?
1: I think that the greatest thing, and I and I've said this in a couple of different presentations. I say I think the greatest thing that happened to it was that the carbon dating was off in 1988, and the the reason for that, and and by the way, the New York Times printed on the front cover of the New York Times that in 1988 that it said. It is a fake, right? It sent shockwaves across the entire shroud community and those who believed in it for years. But I think that's the greatest thing to happen to it because we need faith. There always has to be an element of faith in, in what we believe. Because if science, you know, slam dunks it like you know, at home and goes, "This truly is it," and there's no debate, then you don't need faith anymore, right? And so, you know, Jesus wants us to believe in Him. We have to have those moments where we step out of the boat and onto the water and and believe that we're going to be able to walk on it. And and if we don't have that moment where our foot is halfway out of the boat and we're getting ready to step on the water and go, oh man, Jesus, you better be there, there's a big issue. So we need to remember that there needs to be an element of faith. And so by casting doubt on in that scientific report that came out in 1988, Uh, That said, that the carbon dating was in the Middle Ages uh, between 1260 and 1390 AD. That, hey, you know, this maybe may not be the burial cloth of Jesus. And if that's the case, well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? I believe he did. And I hope a lot of listeners out there believe he did. And this might be a way for skeptics, be able to point to and say, hey, listen, take a look at this. There's more to this than what might meet the eye in that test from 1988, uh, as science has advanced. So it's really, it's really important that we delve into that. And remember that our faith is what enables us to say that.
0: So if people get worried about that kind of thing, what do you say as somebody who obviously not only believes in this, but believes in it enough to make a documentary Uh, And what do you say to people who say, well, what if it turns out that some of these things aren't what they genuinely seemed to be?
1: I would say that this is the title of our film. Who do you say I am? At, At no point in the film do I ever tell you that this is Jesus Christ. I ask the experts. The experts give their answer. But as far as a filmmaker goes, I never tell you one way or the other, what it is. And so I think that's responsible journalism. I think it's responsible filmmaking. And what's really important in that is you need to make up your own mind. You need to look at this and say, you know, hey, after evaluating all of the science, after evaluating all of this, does it strengthen your faith? Does it make you pull away from it? What's the deal? So I can't necessarily tell you you know, how to feel or what to believe, And I don't try to. I simply pose this question, which, by the way, Jesus posed to his apostles and said, who do you say I am? And here is some of the evidence that we have scientific evidence that may strengthen your belief. But to slam dunk at home for you, you've got to have that element of faith.
0: All right. So let's talk about some of the scientific evidence. Uh, So maybe just lay it out for us what the evidence is.
1: Yeah, sure. So one of the very interesting things is, first of all, we go through and we do our best to talk about the reasons why the carbon dating may have been off in 1988. Brian Walsh, who's the executive director of the Shroud of Turn Center, recently came out with a journal article in an academic journal in 2020 with a friend of his, Larry Schwalbe, who re-examined some of the data from the carbon dating. And they explain why the carbon dating test may have been uh, off by a thousand plus years, so that's one of the things that's in our documentary that I don't uh, really know is that is in any other documentary because it's so recent. So he does a great job laying that out. If if that was your hangup, we you know we try to you know debunk that a little bit. Secondly, we do go into the amazing science on the shroud. And one of the things that I like to point to is the amount of energy that this took. Now, in our film, Richard Bernacci says that it takes about 8 billion watts of energy to create the image of this on the shroud. It happened in less than a 16th of a second. That is like taking the AT&T Stadium that, that the Dallas Cowboys play in, that state-of-the-art AT&T Cowboys Stadium, and multiplying it by like 12, and then turning it on for a 16th of a second. Blasting it at a piece of cloth for a sixteenth of a second and creating an image of Jesus. That's how much energy it would take. And scientists have been able to replicate by firing eczema lasers at a tiny little piece of cloth the discoloration because there's no, it's not a burn. It's just a discoloration of the outermost fibers of the shroud. So like the in, the inner part of the the fibers that have images on it are completely like untouched very clear just the outer layer has a slight discoloration and they can cre- recreate that by firing like 16 million watts of energy at at this little thing inside it from an excimer lab- laser today but they can't create an image that that it, it's just miraculous how much energy is it going to take to create this image on the shroud, it's unreal. I mean, there's other scientists who re- actually reached out to me that said well, it's more like 34 million watts of energy. And I said, okay, I you know I, you know I think we've passed the the mind test of most people out there. Wow, this is a lot of energy, right? We have that, and then in addition to that, all of the physical properties of the shroud. So you have blood stains on the shroud that are the blood type of A B, the universal receiver. Right, the universal receiver. It can take blood from anyone, and uh, these are this. This is the same type of blood that is found in every Eucharistic miracle on the planet. Every time that they test the Eucharistic miracle, the miracle of Lanciano uh, or Vieto, whatever it is, is the same blood type A B, right? And you look at that and you say, okay, wait a minute. If if this is the case between the Eucharistic miracles and the shroud, and this is lining up, that's impressive. Beyond that, you have to remember that if it was to be forged, right? Because that's what skeptics say. Well, OK, somebody forged this in the Middle Ages, right? OK, if that was a forgery, wouldn't you? There's no other way to create it. You have to paint the image of the man and then put the bloodstains on top of that image. You have to take you know, human blood and drop it on there. The scientific evidence on the shroud says that there's absolutely no image below the blood stains. That means the man had to be bleeding out and dead in a tomb. <laughs> and then the image appear over top of it when he, when he was raised. right? So just the layering of the order of in which it happened you know, makes a huge difference. And the evidence on the shroud. Lastly, I'll mention one other thing, and that's the pollen on the shroud. There are two types of pollen on the shroud, and we don't discuss all the details of in the documentary, but there are two types of pollen that are only found within a 40-kilometer radius of Jerusalem.
0: That's pretty cool. And don't forget, I I want you to talk, because before we're going to end up here in a few minutes, talk about the negative image, the photo negative. Isn't that also a pretty big, like, miraculous sign?
1: Yes. So when the shroud was first photographed, Segundo Pia, he filmed the shroud, or he took a photograph of the shroud. When he did that, the image of Jesus appeared as a positive image of the man. This is foreign to most young people and most people today with digital photography. But when you take a negative photo of something, it it would look all kind of wonky, kind of like ghosty, right? Not the shroud. That shroud was a photographic negative when it was created. And the positive image of the man comes through. So you see the full beard. You see the eyes closed. You see uh, the hair. You see all of that in that black image that you see on the photographic negative. Right. But when you see the shroud itself, the white, it actually looks kind of wonky. The image doesn't necessarily like, looks kind of ghosty like a photographic negative uh, would on a, on a film strip. So it's just miraculous. I mean, there's just there's no way to explain these things. And and skeptics have a really hard time explaining it to people to say, well, I, I, there, there was a guy recently on social media who said, if you can give me the slam dunk that it was a forgery, I'll give you a million dollars. He hasn't had to relinquish his million yet.
0: Needless to say, there was no photography back in the Middle Ages. There were no photo negatives. I mean, that would be quite a coincidence if it was a forgery and they somehow stumbled upon making a perfect photo negative as they were painting and dropping blood on this crowd. I mean, it's hard. To, it's, it's like, really? How did that even happen? And and are there no skeptics who were able to to even give us like a passing the laugh test kind of an explanation for how that could have happened?
1: None to my knowledge. So it's truly miraculous and it's truly beautiful. And I think, you know, we can spark people's faith with this and spark the skeptics and deepen the faith of those who already believe. That's that's what I hope.
0: I guess just kind of circling back to one final question then, and that is faith and believing in these artifacts. This is not something the church requires people to believe, I'm assuming, What do you say to somebody who might say it's dangerous to encourage people to believe in artifacts or, you know, images or stories or legends because, you know, we might risk, you know, ruining their faith later?
1: I would ask why. I mean, why was this left? That's the question I would pose to them. Why? Why was this? left and why was it preserved? I mean this artifact was preserved through wars and fires and crusades and all kinds of things. It was preserved throughout history by the greatest saints and those who sought to destroy it, Muslims sought to destroy it, it's still around. And so why is it a bad thing to believe in it? If others for 2000 years have said and venerated this and, you know, tried to understand it through, uh, you know, it's miraculous properties through science.
0: All right. So if folks want to watch this documentary, what are the various places they can go and is it going to cost them any money? Um, Can they bring it to their church and and show it to people? Uh, Tell us all about that stuff.
1: Yeah, no, uh, thank you. So, Uh, Yes. You mentioned at the beginning of the program, if you're a subscriber to CMAX, it's uh, free. You're able to watch it as a subscriber. You know, it's a monthly subscription like Netflix. Uh, And I I, I would say to people, think about replacing your Netflix subscription with CMAX. It's got amazing content on there. And it's not all just catechetical religious stuff. They've got some wonderful family programming and great movies on there as well. So you know, check that out. If you don't want to do that, you just want to watch it at home on your on your computer or on your TV. Uh, you're able to do that and purchase it through our website. It's uh, you can go to PatchworkHeart.org and there's a page there that says Shroud Film. You can click on that and download it. It's it, you can rent it for three days. Yeah, you know, three days, right? You can rent it for three days on um, for three ninety nine, or you can buy it for seven ninety nine. Uh, either way, uh, you can watch it that way. And then lastly, we're uh, anticipating that parishes, especially this upcoming Easter season, will want to you know show it to their groups, right? And so, by purchasing a group license, you can you can show it publicly to a large group of people in a parish. We have licenses available uh, on our website. It says, you know, purchase my group license. There's a click. Click the link there. Uh, You can reach out to me. We were offering a lifetime license. I've I've heard from several parishes that want to maybe use it in RCIA programming, uh, year after year after year after year. And so we have a lifetime license. Then we also have a single showing, uh, for two hundred and fifty dollars. So you can, uh, you know, we'll send you the you know the film and the license uh, for you to show it and watch the film. We we have a companion guide that goes along with the film as well. So it's just a simple one sheet of questions for uh, you know, general questions. Then we have men's, women's and young adult questions in there. So you really can be like a two hour event. It can be a two hour event at your parish. You can you know, show the film. It's 51 minutes, take a little 10 minute break and come back and have a wonderful discussion about the film using the study guide. It's a plug and play event for your Lenten <laughs> for your Lenten group. So it's a it's a great thing.
0: Any chance of uh, bringing this to like Fathom events and trying to get it into movie theaters?
1: You know, uh, we 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 thought about it a little bit, but it's just a little too short for doing a. You got to push seventy minutes, eighty minutes. Look, if a movie theater wanted to reach out to me, I would be happy to explore the options. It's just something that we haven't uh, taken a look at because we just think it's not quite the length that it needs to be.
0: Right. And real quick then, I know you mentioned earlier, but where can folks go to find more information about you, your ministry, your book that you talked about earlier, and all these other good things that you're doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, the best way to reach out to us and find us is simply on patchworkheart.org. That's our website. We're on social media. Uh, I will say subscribe to our YouTube channel as well because we have a wonderful Different uh, programming, different uh, podcasts, and things that we post there completely free to watch uh, and and enjoy on our, our YouTube channel. So you have to do is search uh, for Patchwork Heart Ministry on YouTube; it'll pop right up, and you click that subscribe button, and you'll get all our videos that we release regularly. So and with great interviews like uh, you, Tony, we got you on there recently. So <laughs> so you know, check well, it. You out. know it's you know it's good. Then <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do, we do, uh, we know uh, it's great.
0: Well, look. Thanks so much for coming back on the show to talk about this exciting topic. Uh, really appreciate having you back, and I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll have to talk to you again about something else in the future because you're you're so cool to listen to.
1: Hey, Tony. Thank you again, man. It's always awesome to be with you. I appreciate you and uh, and, and all the amazing you work you do for the church. So thank you, and it's been an honor today to chat with you.
0: And uh, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for the show today. Again, we've been speaking with uh, Bill Snyder about the Shroud of Turin and his documentary, Who Do You Say I Am? This is Anthony Barone-Colank. Definitely check out my website, anthonycolank.com. And until next time, may God bless us as we rely on our faith to work through the messy challenges of our lives.